Welcome back. You're watching HFO TV. HFO TV is co-sponsored by J.R. Johnson LLC, specialists in multifamily restoration and repair work. Gantry Incorporated, the nation's largest independent mortgage banking firm. Butler Exchange Group, offering 1031 tax-free exchange services and forensic building consultants, experts in the diagnosis, repair, and preservation of multifamily assets. Welcome back to HFO TV. I'm Greg Frick, partner at HFO Investment Real Estate. And today we have with us Andrea Bell. She's the new executive director of the Oregon Housing and Community Services, also known as OHCS. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Congratulations on uh, the new position. I, it's permanent now. When did you actually officially get it? Was it temporary then went to permanent? Is that that's that's right? right. Yeah, that's right. Well, first off, thanks for oh, having, you're yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I started off. Uh, I was uh, serving as the housing stabilization division director, and then in the fall, I uh, transitioned into the interim position. And about three months into that, the interim title dropped, and now I'm in the full executive full, yeah, director. Now you get the full all the responsibility that's and the accountability. Right. That's right. Yes. Well, it's been a very interesting couple of years for it certainly has. you know this department in terms of coming out of COVID and then now I know you've got uh, moving forward for the budget for next year. That's right. Why don't we talk a little bit about kind of looking forward first and we can go, kind of go back. Kind of, so I understand there's, you know, looking for, I think it was the largest uh, allocation, Agency you know. Agency request budget in yes. history. So yeah. kind of maybe shine some of the kind of the highlights and, you know, maybe what's different than before, uh, what happened in the past in terms of what you're allocating for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, uh, for anybody that may not be familiar with Oregon Housing and Community Services, we serve as Oregon's uh, housing finance agency. Okay. What's particularly unique about Oregon's housing finance agency is that we work across the full housing continuum. So in addition to doing the traditional and critical work around financing affordable housing, making sure that we have pathways to home ownership, we also have deep investments, critical investments in uh, homelessness prevention um, and being able to address homelessness but also in energy and weatherization, which are critical services in terms of uh, bringing down the cost burden as well, because okay. we know that many households that are rent burden are energy burden as well. And then over the last year, we've also expanded our work into disaster recovery and resiliency due to the wildfire right. impacts that have been um, um, plaguing so many of our Oregon communities. Now, is that is that typically kind of a, a wider swath than maybe in other state in other states how they do it? That is. So most of the housing finance agencies across the nation uh, sort of focus on again critical but typical sort of bread and butter work around financing of affordable housing preservation work. Okay. I think what's been really interesting for us is our evolution over the last uh, few years was both very intentional around sort of where we need to be of service to community and so much of that was really driven by uh, community conversations, but then also looking at the trends around lack of affordable uh, housing, um, knowing that the pathways to home ownership for many communities have looked bleak, but then also recognizing that our collective humanity here in Oregon really requires right. more of our housing finance agency. And so that is what we're continuing to to grow into. Okay, so it's kind of evolving in terms of what's kind of what's under your umbrella, so to speak. That's right. Okay, and it's That's all right. So then moving, looking at this, so the budget comes for, I think it's a what, 2023 proposed budget. That's right. Where you've got to go to the legislature and ask for, I mean, are you, is it, 
more funds across all the spectrums? Are there certain things that we're really trying to target to say this is where we need more funding for this immediate issue? Yeah. Kind of what's kind of maybe what are some of the highlights of those? Yeah. Well, I think that this is a really critical point um, for the state of Oregon as we think about the needs of housing. Obviously, the last couple of years around the pandemic mm-hmm. has exacerbated so many of the issues that we've had before. So we're at this point of what I would could be what I consider to be sort of both heartache and hope recognizing that we still have so many communities that are impacted by lack of being able to get by, and that's tenants and landlords struggling right. to get by, and also recognizing that this is a time where we have to feel uh, both hopeful and resolve about that. So going into 2325, as you mentioned, we're asking for over $775 million in housing. And we have said, I have said, that that is both audacious and appropriate for the scale of the need. We have to invest in resources, invest in a course of action to meet the scale of the crisis. So within that budget, within that course of action, we have about 65%. About 65% of that budget is supply focused. So our local innovation uh, fast track, which uh, uh, really is in investing in the creation of new and uh, new affordable housing for rent and for purchase. And again, you guys don't do development. You provide the funding for development. That's correct. Okay. So we work through grants and contracts okay. with, our par- with our partners. And so we have about $200 million in that local innovation fast track for uh, preservation of affordable housing, $175 million and uh, as part of that, you know, as we equally focus on supply of affordable housing, we also have to protect the affordable housing that we have, which right. is why those preservation investments are, in, are important. The other piece of evolution that I think uh, so many of our partners and people across the state will start to see us uh, sort of shift into are place-based initiatives too. So recognizing that when we increase supply of affordable housing, when we create pathways to home ownership, uh, that creates an economic benefit to our community. Mm-hmm. So what you'll also see within that budget is uh, $75 million for permanent supportive housing, which is coupled of affordable housing, rental assistance, and critical services. Okay. So when we think about our homelessness crisis, this is one of the ways uh, that we are moving towards solutions that are both humane, that are data-driven. Some more driven. wraparound services. That's right. Okay. That is absolutely. So okay. you'll see that course of action and that full kind of uh, housing continuum uh, reflected in our budget for 23-25. So I know, it, you know, it's kind of front and center on the election with homelessness and public safety. I, and you hear a lot here, we've talked to various people, you know, about housing first versus the shelter model. I mean, how do you yeah. reconcile that? Or is it, you know, one size fits all? Kind of what's your thought now yeah. as the as the director on, you know, where the state should go or how do you, yeah. you know, what are your, some of the solutions you think for that? Well, certainly I think, Um, There is a great deal of care and concern for our communities, but I think particularly around the experience of homelessness and the experience of unsheltered homelessness. Mm -hmm. When people drive by their communities and see that, we should not be desensitized to that. We should not be desensitized by that reality. And also recognizing that we haven't built enough affordable housing for so many years. So when you talk about housing first, uh, housing first doesn't mean housing only. So as we uh, pursue solutions that increase sort of sticks and bricks access, we also need to make sure that we have the right appropriate services that are individualized and recognize that there are no short-term ways out of this. We need both 
short-term, medium, and long-term solutions. And all of those, Greg, have to be centered on, again, solutions that are based in humanity, that are based in uh, data-driven solutions, and that are community-led and community-driven. I mean, at the end of the day, we exist uh, to serve the people of Oregon, and we have to do that in concert with our partners at the state. We see a lot, but there's uh, a lot of texture and detail around any specific need for community that we're not always going to know. And so it's about the it's about us doing that uh, in a way that brings our partners along with so us. So is that and working us, more with the community groups in terms of rolling out services? Or? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, in the drafting of the 23-25 budget, we went through an extensive community engagement process. I think that can only continue to get better. I think landlords have played... Uh, for us, a really critical role in providing, you know, constructive and specific feedback on things that we can do to really um, bring those investments, bring those solutions to scale in a way that is going to be representative of that collective need that people see uh, right. in their communities. So now I know with the pandemic was kind of a, you know, hopefully a once in a lifetime kind of deal sure. we're dealing with. Yeah. And I, you know, with the landlord assistance and tenant assistance, you know, I, was there, a, I think there's, there's like a study to kind of look back and see how it worked. Was, it kind of felt a little bit like we had, you know, AHCS, you know, here, and we had the community once here. And it was like a, I don't want to say a battle for, you know, funds, but it, like who was controlling it? I mean, is there a push to, you know, take more control to have it more centralized or is it more we want to get it out? I'm just curious kind of, because yeah. in, in, with our client base, there was like, okay, we're, you know, there was money in the pot, so to speak. We're waiting. It was delays in getting it out. Again, it was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But, sure. I mean, are you recognizing that there were some breakdowns in that in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you said it, which is, you know, there's so much over the last couple of years. I don't think any of us can say that we learned nothing from the last couple of right. years. I think there's so much that we have learned as a state agency, as a government agency, on what it means to scale something of that size and of that magnitude with the lens of and through the prism of quickness and agility. I think that's one piece. I think another piece that uh, has been a formative piece of our learning too is around what it takes to galvanize during a moment, during a time of crisis when uh, it requires us to be in partnership and constant partnership and constant community uh, conversations with so many of our partners, such as landlords. I think landlords played a really critical role in the design and some of the really specific ways of, of that. But I think the other piece of it, too, is recognizing that um, there is such uh, an experience of trauma that happens, mm -hmm. not only for tenants, but for landlords that were struggling to get by. For landlords that were struggling to get by, that is an experience of trauma when you don't know if you can pay your bills. That is a critical experience, I think, that we have to be able to take heed uh, from as an agency. And I think to be able to go from a place of where for the emergency rental assistance program where we scaled, we started that program a few months delayed right. then in comparison across the nation right. in May. And then to go from that to a place where we've administered over $400 million, where the program, uh, by measurement of the National Low-Income Housing Correlation, Oregon's program has been number one. That is shared effectiveness. That is not only because of the state agency, it is because all of the partners that have been involved in making that happen and serving the people of Oregon during that tremendously difficult time. So then how, you know, which again, it was, it was a kind of unique situation. I know a lot of property owners were, 
you know, it, it, there was kind of almost like a feeling of disconnect. I mean, we talk about affordable housing, and we know mm-hmm. uh, the public side's not, you can't build enough to, it's just not going to go fast enough. Right. I mean, is there allocation in this budget moving forward to look at municipalities? I mean, we were talking last night, you know, we've had a housing emergency in Portland for years. It's yeah. every developer I talk to says it's not an easier to build here. Right. You know, how are we going to alleviate? I mean, is there ways for you as an agency to be able to go to, you know, we need to fast track these things. I mean, how do you look at that, not just on the public or the private or the public, you know, ownership side, what do we do or what can you do to help, you know, the public get more, you know, housing built from the private side? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things as part of that is one of the things that uh, became clear to us as we started engaging and preparing for the 23-25 budget was uh, really recognizing that there's a lot of our partners, there's a lot of community members across the state that actually we're not even, you know, informed about the budgetary process right. and about what that takes. And that is no fault of, of, of theirs. What that does is it highlights a gap in which we sort of need to step into and to make sure that people are aware of the process, know how to engage in process, and quite frankly, Greg, for to create opportunities where people can tell us as state government, here's where the intention was spot on and here's where it just didn't land. You know, recently we had uh, some conversations with a few county commissioners and it was interesting what highlighted from that conversation was yes around like sort of the scale of the investments that we have to pursue but it's also the details of the administration how something gets scaled how flexible are the dollars and recognizing that whether we're talking about for-profit or non-profit we need that collective uh, sort of representation in our work to pursue housing solutions. And so I think as we move forward in this budgetary process, what people can expect from us um, are uh, more seats, more tables to be set around the administration and the details of our notice of funding opportunities so that we can uh, do a better job of making those both those resources uh, accessible, but then also making sure that, you know, the process around them is, a, is, is something that um, is better than what it's been in in the past, and I think that's an ever evolving. So that's process. kind of you're working on it now as we as we move forward. Absolutely, right. absolutely. I mean, seven over seven hundred million dollars is a lot of money, and mm-hmm. that's a yeah. lot of money to be yeah. uh, asking for. It. And while I think there's a lot of people that can, um, you know, that would agree that that scale is appropriate. We also have to make sure that the details in the administration, that there's collective awareness, collective visibility about that as well. Gotcha. And so are you dealing then directly with the counties in terms of allocation and how they're using those funds? Or is it more them coming to you with, here's a plan, this is what we want to do? You know, do we get a you know, do we get a, a vote for it, or how does that work? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So I'll give you one example. So um, as part of our uh, both current work and present day work that we're going to continue on, we're continuing investments on housing-based shelter models across the state. And so over the last couple of years, uh, we've had uh, um, a much stronger representation of diverse players, but that includes city and county governments as well in that. And so some of those conversations that we had just, uh, actually just just recently with uh, a few of the Oregon mayors, were really around how do we make sure that there's alignment between the state and localities um, around 
where investments are going, what outcomes are pursuing, knowing that uh, the demographics, the unique needs of each community varies. And, you know, just to be really honest about it, too, um, it's important that the state does not put forth requirements or expectations in a way that's a one-size-fits-all approach. What works right. in Multnomah County or in Central Oregon may not work on the border of Oregon and Idaho. And so being able to keep that level of um, clear-eyed about that at the state and making sure that we are not working in a vacuum is part of um, part of the responsibility that we hold in addition to asking for a lot of resources is making sure that our partners are as engaged in the the details of, of that. And are you getting, is it get, is it a receptive message? Are, you know, are we seeing that based on, you know, what happened the last couple of years in terms of, you know, there's some things that need to get fixed. There's, like I said, from our world on the, on the private, uh, you know, ownership side, there seemed to be a disconnect between, you know, what was needed and the operations. Hmm. And, you know, it, I think there's going to be, there's going to be not need to be a lot of repairing kind of in that relationship. It almost yeah. felt like, uh, yeah. you know, we were putting policy in place, not really talking with all the stakeholders. It was kind of one size fits all or one sure. point of view. I'm just curious, are you open to having more, you know, not just the same players all the time or the loudest voice yeah. in the room in terms of how we're going to allocate this down the road? Yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. It's, it's interesting. And I'll use, sort of the emergency rental assistance because that was the largest program right. the last couple of years right. that was sort of the the from a rental assistance perspective from a housing perspective in many ways that was a, the fingerprints of the last couple of years and you know i will say that you know recognizing that the need is is still great and even administering 400 million dollars when just for context we would on average be pushing out about 20 million dollars right, so, so we're talking about different scales but even so I think about the many conversations that we've had directly with landlords that um, provided both very specific feedback around what's just simply not working. So some of those are around uh, application optimizations right. or details on the back end of we cannot see when an application is approved and we need to be able to see that in order to be part of the process. And as we received uh, reallocated funds from other states as that program continued, um, we made those optimizations and candidly, it made the program better. Okay. That was very specific feedback and open feedback. And so it is, uh, it is about really leaning into the full contours of when we say relationship. And that means power sharing. That right. means listening even when it's hard to listen. And at the end of the day, there were so many stories, so many experiences, Greg, of tenants talking about landlords who helped them apply, mm -hmm. landlords who helped them with repayment agreements, landlords who worked with them and held their hand through the Now, we process. don't hear about those stories in the press or anything, but I mean, well, they're out there. We're trying to get them out, but yeah. Those stories are absolutely yeah. out there. Those yeah. stories are absolutely out there. And so it is, I think, part of our shared responsibility as we recount the last couple of years and what we've learned to also acknowledge and to uplift truth and transparency. Mm -hmm. And while we know and we fully acknowledge the, the challenges, we also know that there were a lot of landlords that played a pivotal and critical role, both in the administration of the program and feedback to us, but also showing deep care and support right. for their tenants. Those experiences are there, those stories are there because we've we've heard them. Oh, good, good. So I, in terms of affordable housing, and we talk a lot about you know community partners and building affordable housing, we're all, you know, is there a strong push to, for like an expanded voucher system? Because we'll talk mm. to a lot of people and say, you know, if you're looking, if, you know, 
owners can't set rent based on whatever they want. It's a it's a market sure. driven thing. We've got supply and demand. Right. You know, if we have if we've constricted supply for so long, we've got this added demand because people want to live here. Mm-hmm. So that's going to push rents. Would a more you know, I guess more bang for your dollar to look more at an expanded voucher system. Because my fear is, you know, it came out today, the CPI, there's going to be this clamor about, oh my, you know, rents could go 14%. Okay, people aren't raising rents 14%. But again, you're not, a, you know, you you start talking about that, you're going to have less supply, which then dries up rents. Would a voucher system be a more way, better way to kind of help on the affordability side? Yeah, well, I know there is a lot of talk and continue talk and conversation about the role of of rent assistance. And I think uh, within our budget, you do see there is a request in there for additional rental assistance, recognizing that, um, you know, while our emergency rental assistance program closed in August, it has been really... um, It has been really insightful to see the scale of the need that is continuing to continuing to persist. And keep in mind that we're only seeing that from the tenant side. It doesn't tell the story of the larger need or the landlord need or the other needs out there that may exist outside of what we can see within the program. And so I think there's a couple of things that we have to continue to keep our eye on, which is one, knowing that we need you know, big A affordable housing, we just simply need more of it. We right. simply need more of it and there is no way around that. Um, as we think about the journey, at least at the state level with rental assistance, one of the things that we're, um, we wanna take heat on and continue to have conversations on is knowing that we have housing authorities across the state that really play that sort of central role mm-hmm. of administering federal rental assistance and, uh, and section eight programs and vouchers. I think one of the more recent conversations that we've had um, is really looking at our colleagues in other in other parts of the state, in other parts of the country, excuse me, HFAs that have state-administered rental assistance and right. looking at what are the pros and cons to that? What does that mean for the system? What are we trying to get out of it? And I think for us as part of these conversations, it is a, um, there is a responsibility that we hold to make sure that when we're um, seeking to diagnose or assess or or fix or fill in a gap, um, that we really scan our feelers out there to make sure that we understand what we're trying to solve for, what that means for the system, and also trying to understand that with its full complexity from a landlord side, from a tenant side, and understanding that um, there are deep economics to that too, and, and making sure that um, the state is... Um, playing a constructive and responsible role and making sure that if we're going towards an investment that we understand our role in it and where where there's an added benefit, where there's duplicativeness and, um, and understanding that this is going to be a collective push over the next few years oh, from a housing I mean, perspective. We're just, we're just undersupplied housing for so long. It's, you know, you're not going to fix it tomorrow. You're not going to fix the next day. I, I just have a concern sometimes on terms of it seems to be a disconnect between some of the policies that are put in place as in terms of what that does to capital supply. And then you're, you know, you know, have one side we're saying, hey, we need to do affordable housing, Mm -hmm. but then we're putting a higher burden on development or put, you know, things like that to say, look, if we don't address the supply issue, this, this, you know, you can do it. You're still going to have this. And I just sometimes wonder you know, people really think about, is this really going to get us to where we want to go? You know, you know, I talked about, we talked about rent caps and rent controls. Sure. We understand those. But if you look at that, 
if capital says we're not going to invest in this market anymore, have we really solved the issue? Is there a better way to go about that? And I just sometimes feel like there's a, a disconnect in terms of what are these true consequences going to be on some of the policies that are in place. Yeah. So, and like, and, you know, is it, do you have the ability to go to some of these salaries and say you have to make it easier to develop? You have to take down some of the barriers on this to increase housing, or are we going to just continue to battle this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's interesting. In some of uh, the more recent conversations that we were having with our development partners, even being able to see, you know, the the complexity with building affordable housing has always has always been there and you you know oh, yeah. that the complexity has always been there but it's been really fascinating over the last couple of years to see where the cost increases have come in and how stark they have been right. and also recognizing that that is going to play a role over the next couple of years as we think about inflation as we think about uh, sort of the compressed need of affordable housing and then I think particular particularly but not specific to the state of Oregon also recognizing the role of private activity bonds and the compression that uh, that plays both now and into the, to the future as we look to continue financing more affordable So is it, is it an education process, do you think, for people? Is it a, a, you know, as again, we've been down to Salem and sometimes you think there's this kind of like a disconnect on, you know, let's talk about supply and demand. Do you, is it just trying to educate that we, it's, if we're not all in this together, it's not going to work? And so how do we all come together? Yeah, that's a, that's such a really interesting point. I think, you know, here's here's what my belief is, is, you know, we have we have been in community over the last few months having uh, in-person community, having conversations mm -hmm. with a lot of folks around affordable housing needs. And we've had those in rural communities and our urban communities to really hear from tenants and landlords, to really hear about what the needs are um, and how that manifests. And here is what I have found is there is a shared experience in the need for affordable housing. There is full consensus and understanding that we don't want people struggling to pay to get by. Mm -hmm. We don't want people struggling to pay for food. There is general consensus, and that is emphatic and true. And there is, uh, for me, that is a place of hopefulness and optimism to come from, and we should never forget that, that there is consensus in that. The question is how, and what are we right. going to do about it, and what are we going to do about it? And so I think, you know, as we engage with certainly members of the legislature, there is an understanding of the need for affordable housing. And I think when we hear a daunting number of, we need over 580,000 new homes, it's like, what is our plan to right. get towards that? And I think it's also recognizing, Greg, too, that this is not gonna be quick. It is gonna require solutions at the scale of the crisis and us doing so consistently. Well, this and has been in play so for so long. I mean, this right. underproduction has been in play, you know, especially on the West Coast for, right. Absolutely. for so long. This is not going to be a quick fix. And I just, you know, I hope and I, you know, yeah. appreciate what you say that we can get shareholders involved and everybody get, I mean, I said it every time I talk to people, you want to talk about affordability, go talk to somebody that owns a house. Okay. You don't want density. You don't want urban sprawl. Well, you can't have affordability too. You have sure. to give something up. Right. And I think, you know, as a collective, you know, if the city's not changing and growing, you know, it's it's not going to do well. So how do you get people to recognize, yes, you know, they're not going to build a thousand apartments right by your house, but there right. may be some added density, but there's a benefit long term for that. And so it's right. just trying to get people to come around to that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think what's been really enlightening, too, is now more than ever, and I'm not sure if you if you find that, but now more than ever, either on an individual level, someone has experienced or know someone who is struggling to get by, mm -hmm. who would like to purchase a home and as a person that quite frankly, did not see a pathway for home ownership. Right. I did not see a pathway for home ownership. And there's a lot of homeowners that 
are having to continue to rent because that home ownership just does not look, you know, that that pathway may look and may feel bleak in that. And I think that that collective sort of reckoning of understanding that if we want a healthy community, if we want a continued resilient community, um, that is going to require all of us. It is going to require the giving of something. It requires mm -hmm. that level of reciprocity. And my hope is that at the state level that we can be more effective in modeling that, that we can be more effective in coming to the table to have these conversations around uh, around and under the basis that we want the same thing. You right. and I are here having a conversation about affordable housing because we care about it. No, we I agree. I mean, I think the, you know, the biggest, I think, thing that's happened the last, I would say, five years in this market is the relationship between property owner and renter has almost been weaponized. Hmm. And at the end of the day, they, you know, they want the same thing. A, 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 you know, rental housing provider wants to provide stable, stable housing. Right. And we, you know, we, the idea that, you know, you don't, that just doesn't make sense, but it's now it's got so contentious. It's, you can't even get them to the table now. And it's a, uh, yeah. I win, you lose or vice versa. And I think that's kind of really made it hard to move some of these discussions forward and really look at, let's really talk about what some solutions are. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, you know, it's going to take some time, but it's really hard to get everybody, you know, addressing because there's so much, like I said, there's just this, it's, it's, yeah. there's so much conflict right now. And it's, hopefully this kind of breaks down again, COVID's kind of caused a lot of things as well, but. Sure. No. Yeah. And I, and I think you, I think quite frankly, I think even you just saying that and opening up, opening up a pathway to say that I'm observing something and I'm identifying something and I would like there to be a shift. How oh, do yeah. we make that shift? And what is your role in it? What is my role in it? And I think what I feel excited about, and I truly feel this, is I think the state has a role in being able to model that convening. And again, this is under the basis of shared value that we care about our beloved communities and people are struggling. Right. People are struggling. So we don't have to agree on every facet of everything, uh, but we do need to translate that commitment that we have into a course of action that we can agree upon. And I think um, so many of the conversations, even as I reflect back, with landlords, so many conversations that we had with uh, tenant advocates or people that work with tenants, uh, work with tenants, so much correlation in the conversation, so much correlation in the conversation. And I think you are right in that this is a time where we are going to have to sort of maybe not see conflict, but see creative tension and go towards it and have that conversation. That is our only way out it. We cannot go around it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. So, well, thank you for taking the time yeah. to come speak to the audience here. Absolutely. I uh, wish you a lot of success. And Absolutely. Uh, it's, you're going to be, I'm sure it'll be, you spent a lot of time in Salem pitching uh, this, yeah. That's right. We have a lot of work <laughs> ahead of us. We certainly look forward to yeah. uh, to all the support in that and just, uh, you know, certainly much appreciation to the landlords that have played a really critical role over the last couple of years, and that shouldn't be uh, undersold or lost right. Thank uh, you. on us as well. Yeah. And again, if you want to learn more about this, so you can go to the website below and we'll see you again next time on HFO TV. Thank you. Our entire office specializes in multifamily real estate, making HFO the largest multifamily brokerage in the Pacific Northwest. Your success is our passion. Build your legacy with HFO. Call 503-241-5541 or visit our website at hfore.com for more information.